Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Mullaney with Senior Housing News. For this episode of the podcast, I spoke with Dan Williams, president and COO of Seasons Living. Based in Lake Oswego, Oregon, Seasons operates 15 communities across seven states and has several under development. Like senior living providers across the country, Seasons is facing a changed world and difficult situations due to COVID-19. In fact, I first spoke with Dan for the podcast back in February before the coronavirus outbreak in the United States escalated. And the coronavirus crisis has changed the playing field so much, so rapidly, that Dan and I recorded a new interview to focus on how COVID-19 has affected Seasons and how the company is responding. Dan talked frankly about the toll that COVID-19 is taking. He and I spoke as a Seasons caregiver was fighting for her life, her condition having rapidly worsened after a COVID-19 diagnosis. And Dan spoke frankly of the grief and trauma that COVID-19 is inflicting. He pointed out that even veteran caregivers who are used to end-of-life situations are being confronted with devastating and frightening situations as the coronavirus strikes their colleagues. In the midst of this dark and difficult time, he's taking heart in how he sees the industry pulling together. Clearly, senior housing is in a period of enormous challenges and uncertainty. We here at Senior Housing News are thankful for the courageous work being done in senior living and have never taken our responsibility more seriously to be a resource to the industry by providing essential news, storytelling, and events. In that spirit, I'm pleased to share that two of our events that were postponed due to COVID-19 have now been rescheduled. Dished, an event that highlights culinary innovation in senior living, will be held on October 14th, 2020. Build, which is an event dedicated to the future of senior housing development, will be held the next day on October 15th, 2020. Both events will take place in Chicago. These are always special events, but this year in particular, we're looking forward to bringing people together and having conversations about the future that will be all the more important and valuable in light of COVID-19. More information about the events can be found at seniorhousingnews.com forward slash events. Now here's my interview with Dan Williams of Seasons Living. So Dan, we talked a little while ago for the podcast. And since then, that was right maybe like a week before COVID-19 really uh, started to escalate in the United States. So um, thanks for taking the time to reconnect and uh, wanted to hear a little bit about what you all at Seasons have been experiencing and how you've been responding to COVID-19. So I guess if you want to just start kind of big picture, what's been the uh, kind of operational, some of the operational changes and approach that you're taking? Sure. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me again, Tim. Yeah. So it's been a lot has changed since uh, in a short period of time, but we started following the uh, coronavirus and the COVID-19 back, I think it was the first part of February when uh, the world WHO had, you know, kind of released a national emergency about it. And it was an epidemic then, I think. They hadn't classified as a pandemic, but, you know, just started reading about it, but didn't really institute anything in the communities. Uh, And then, you know, after that, I think it was in uh, late February or early March when the, um, the Life Care Center in Kirkland made the news. And I was familiar with that area. I used to have a building 
uh, right down the street from that particular life care. And so, you know, at that point, what we did is we formed kind of a task force at Seasons. And so we put, of course, our director of health services and some other key people on a task force. And we kind of divided up things into procurement, you know, health services, prevention, in various areas and, and kind of form this task force. And then we have a com- company-wide intranet. So we, we designed a, a page on the intranet and uh, sort of we call it a command center. And uh, it allows for, we post all our strategy, our policies on there, the latest from the CDC, the latest from every state about um, prevention precautions and uh and just the latest information that they're putting out on the virus. And it's a it's a place where our, all our executive directors can go ask questions to the task force and, and get those those questions answered uh and um you know and notify us of, of different things going on. And of course, you know, like most operators and I've been in touch with several during this time, we've all kind of come together and we're all helping each other. It's been great to see and and, uh, you know, we, we're all trying to help each other get through this. But, um, we, we put, you know, strategy, we, we put strategy plan in place during the time it was happening at Life Care that would, you know, go into following what we kind of did was you have CDC recommendations which we follow those. And then we were getting the updates on CMS. And even though we're not a skilled nursing company, I felt that, and we felt that CMS was putting out some pretty good guidelines. So if they were putting them out for skilled, we were going ahead and instituting those into our assisted living and memory care communities. And I found that what, while we were doing that, and while that was unfolding, we were like one step ahead of the game as far as when the state states and the DHS would put out different things such as screen and, and no visitors and no, you know, only essential visitors and things like that. So, you know, it's almost like the whole month of March was a blur. Everything was happening so fast. We were updating strategy and policies very quickly and getting that information out to our buildings. We did uh, task force calls every single day with just the task force. And then after that, we do all the executive directors and nurses are on the phone with the task force. And we do that seven days a week, and we still do that every single day now. So, yeah, it's been quite a – it's well, changed. A lot has changed about how we do business in a short, short period of time. Just in the last day or two, if you can share, where are you at now in terms of when you're talking to the executive directors? What are the top-of-mind concerns at this moment? Yeah. You know, so at this moment, it's all in my mantra has been, you know, we just going to do everything we can to keep them out of the building, keep our employees and our residents safe. And, and, uh, so that's being very diligent in our screening process with employees every shift, not allowing only essential visitors in. And essential is defined by really only if you have an end of life resident on hospice or, and it's it's they're near near passing, then they can have visitors, and we'll screen those and and probably have them wear PPE. Um, that's been a big focus of recent. And you know we what we're seeing in the country now, and I I probably shouldn't do this, but I did. I set a Google News alert for assisted living coronavirus, and so every day I get 
and email alert and new news media stories about outbreaks and positive residents and positive employees across the country. It's really kind of helped me be diligent. And, um, and we were doing great, but we had our first employee show positive in our Kansas City building yesterday. And we have some, some residents out testing now. And so we, we did get results back as the second employee in that building has tested positive. No residents have tested positive as of now. And so we're experiencing what it seasons, we're experiencing what a lot of other companies are experiencing now. So my mantra stayed the same with the EDs about being diligent, about enforcing what our what our strategies are, what our policies are to you know, to keep the virus out. And then, you know, we just yesterday got a drill in what do we do if we do have an outbreak? And so, you know, the task force came together and we helped our community in Kansas City navigate through what's going on with the local health department and so forth. And so it's it's hitting home now. You know, it's hitting yeah. home now. That's, uh, I think, going to become a more and more common story for operators across the country, unfortunately. What I'm curious about, mm-hmm. In terms of that drill you talked about, now that you do have a positive staff member um, mm-hmm. or a staff member test mm-hmm. positive for COVID nineteen, I assume one step is obviously to get in touch with the local health department. Can you talk through some of the other mm-hmm. sort of uh, reaction type actions yeah. that you have to take? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, yes, yeah, contacting the health department. In this case, the the executive director tried to get in touch with this employee and couldn't get in touch with her, and. Um, then the health department called us and notified us that she was in the hospital and it tested positive for COVID. And unfortunately, we're talking about a 40-year-old single nursing school student, female, who has a four-year-old child at home and she's on a ventilator and she's fighting for her life. And frankly, we spoke to the hospital this morning and it doesn't look good. You know, the prognosis is not good. So, of course, she and her family's in our thoughts and prayers right now. But what, you know, what we, we did was we, any, you know, at the time we had, knew we had a positive case, we started isolating any residents that were showing any kind of symptoms, which we kind of had already done to, to see if we needed to, to, well, we also went and got tests from the health department. They were kind enough to give us 10 tests. And so we have three residents that are showing symptoms of being ill. Some of them are respiratory systems, so we're not sure. And then we actually had five other employees that are showing some symptoms. So we're testing we're testing all those residents employees and, and so far the the uh, tests have not come back. It'll probably be tomorrow or the next day before we get results on those. But we isolate the residents. You know, we we shipped overnight. There's some PPE equipment there. We're requiring all all caregivers and all employees in the building to wear PPE now. And so we overnight shipped them a lot of protective gear. They had some on site, but we shipped them extra so that they would be covered. You know, we uh, we notified all family with personal phone calls to the families of, of the residents that are there, notified all the employees, let them know what steps that we're taking to keep them safe, put in PR plans. Uh, we have a, uh, someone on retainer for PR just in case the media comes and so we squared away everything with that. And, um, you know, and then we, we had a critical staffing plan that we planned to introduce if we had a breakout that would call for extra wages per hour, shift uh, differential wages, bonuses for completing shifts in a week and, and various different ways so that we could 
we could give the you know give the employees that are currently there a little bit more for you know sticking with us and uh, and helping us through that. Uh, and we've seen a good response from our employees from that. Got it. So it's, obviously, it's very comprehensive. I'm just curious. Now, this is a difficult subject, but I'm I can hear in talking mm-hmm. to you that it's you know difficult situation to say the least when you have a, a worker, a team member who is like you said, fighting for her life with COVID-19 and especially someone, you know, who we don't necessarily think of as an at-risk type of person, like an older adult. And it just drives home, I guess, to me, the, these situations must put such a burden on, you know, this person's friends Mm -hmm. in the community, other workers must raise the fear level. Can you talk at all about just the reality of living through that and anything that you can mm-hmm. think of to help alleviate any of that kind of stress and strain? Sure. Well, you know, a lot of our caregivers, and this is just a standalone memory care, so you do end up having a lot of end-of-life situations, you know, year after year, and that's that's what a lot of memory care is. And so the caregivers and the med aides and the employees in these communities are used to uh, dealing with death of a resident. It, it happens quite a bit. But now what we're talking, of course, the caregiver is still incubated. It is serious, you know, but they, they're faced with, with, oh, my God, now this can, you know, it's happened to her. She's in good health. This can happen to me. And so there is a traumatic link there. It was a very eye-opening experience for me to learn that. I mean, I was, you know, taken aback. And, and of course, we're trying to do anything we can for her and her family. But it was quite a shock, you know. And it's it's, a, it's certainly a wake-up call that this coronavirus is not, you know, it's not just going after the people that are that are old and have underlying conditions. It's, uh, you know, it can be devastating for anyone who gets it um, at a younger age. But yeah. we... You know, we're engaging a grief counselor, not a grief counselor, but a psychologist just to to be available for any of the staff to, you know, to talk to. And, you know, it's interesting how this, so, you know, this person, another thing that we did, this, this caregiver, she came, you know, she worked for the three days and uh, showed no symptoms. But I'm pretty sure during that time she was asymptomatic. And that's another devastating factor about this disease is you can, you know, she may have been working in our place for three or, three or four shifts with showing no symptoms. She passed all the screening protocols that that we're doing and all the other operators are doing. She didn't show any symptoms, yet she could have been in there spreading the virus unbeknownst to anybody. And then the screening caught her on the fourth day. And there's the tough thing. How do you defend against that? That's very difficult to defend against. And so, you know, one thing that we're doing now is we're just, everybody's going to wear a mask. All our employees in our company are going to wear a mask because at the very least, if you're infected and you are asymptomatic right now, at least you can cover your mouth and droplets that, that get in the air. Then in fact, others will hopefully get caught in that, you know, in a face mask. But, yeah. uh, yeah, it's it's a very uh, you know it's it's a very difficult, complicated time and situation in the buildings right now. Well, how is your supply of face masks? You know, we're we're doing good. We just uh, secured an order of twenty thousand face masks. We secured another that are coming to be here Friday, and um, we secured another twenty thousand that'll be here mid-April. 
we're running low on gowns. Gowns are seem to be in demand. But we're, you know, the the great thing is like, you know, there's I'm I'm communicating with like Anthem Isaac over at Anthem Memory Care, with Compass Senior Living, with um, JEA Senior Living, with Kelsch, with uh, Frontier, and we're all together looking for PPE, and we're helping one another. I'm sending last over to Compass to help those guys out, and then when we get this other order in, I'll you know I'll take from that, and so we're all chipping in and helping, and and that's good when it comes to the PPE. You know, I think my hope is is that a lot of the masks and gowns and the PPE that we need will come more available since it's all ramped up making it. But sometimes it's very difficult to find. We're, we, we can't find gowns right now. So we're looking at alternatives like just buying scrubs and, and having the caregivers wash them every night and, mm-hmm. you know, just looking for different ways, different things. So I'm curious about, I think there's a lot of questions about how this will eventually affect occupancy. And we've been hearing mixed things. Some communities seeing an uptick in move-ins seemingly around people realizing they have health needs because of COVID and mm-hmm. wanting to be in a more secure place. And then some people reporting other locations are seeing move-outs maybe due to COVID. And um, so I guess I'm wondering what you're yeah, kind of seeing or expecting broadly on occupancy. You know, I'm not seeing, you know, our our traffic is, is, is slowed down. We're taking the approach as of today that we still are taking admins. Now, we have a very stringent protocols and screening in place before we we take a person in as a new admit, a new admission, or even a readmission that's been in a hospital or a skilled nursing and needs to move back to us. I think that I don't see a lot of move out because I think a lot of, families are saying, all right, let's just everything hold tight. Let's just stay in place. So I'm not getting a lot of requests for people to come get their loved one and move them out. I think traffic has died. And I'm not saying we still have move-ins coming, but not, you know, not near on the pace as if there was no virus. So I think it's kind of a, you know, wait and see. Mm-hmm. I suspect um, that we will see a decline in and move-ins during the peak of this virus, and all our protocols for moving in people are changing. And it's 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 risky to move somebody in now. If you move somebody in with the virus and they, they spread it through the building, which has happened, and I've read the stories recently in the news media about that happening, and the families are all upset at the operator, and, you know, it's all kinds of uh, negative press going on with that. Um, they're calling them greedy. They're saying, you know, you shouldn't be moving anyone in during this crisis. And, and of course, you know, none of us want media like that. It, but we have to walk a fine line. We still have a business, and you know, they're, it, you know, any business can go out of business if it doesn't have customers. And that's just a general rule of business, and it applies to senior housing as well. So you have to balance it out a little bit. One positive thing is not many people who were going to move out are moving out. So, so really the only people that are, uh, you only have really deaths to deal with as far as your move outs right now. And when, when residents pass away, they're not moving to a competitor and they're not moving, you know, back home and stuff. Everyone's kind of staying put. So hopefully we'll be able to weather the storm through that. And then 
if we can get a very, and FDA is approving the 15-minute test, and, you know, every day there's another five-minute and, you know, 45-minute and whatever, is if we can get rapid testing, that's a kind of a game changer as far as our screening of admits going forward. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. I read every article I can get about that. There's, like I mentioned, these other operators who are all communicating, trying to find tests right now that we can we can get. We've actually found some tests in a community down. Our community in Arizona has some tests, and we wrote a whole new admissions uh, move-in policy surrounding different benchmarks of testing a person, then waiting seven days, then isolating them seven days, and then testing them again, and then moving them in. You know, so we're writing procedures on how we're going to do move-ins. And those are going to hold true for a long, long time, I think, in our industry. The way that we move people in is going to, it's changing very much. Yeah. For communities where you don't have that test right now, if someone moves in, are they going into like a 14-day quarantine or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a 14-day quarantine. And we're, you know, we're testing, uh, you know, two times a day, taking their temperature. They're on alert charting. There's lots of things going on to monitor them for symptoms. And that's in usually AL and IL. It's, it's much more difficult in memory care. For, you know, in, in that disease, you have people don't, they, you know, people don't sit still a lot and they're not really in their rooms too much in a memory care. They're out doing activities or they're out doing things. And, you know, the other part of that disease, they're, they walk around a lot and you, they touch, touch things. Other people, they touch rails, they touch, you know, they're always touching. So when you have an Alzheimer's dementia resident, it's very hard to keep them isolated at all. So moving Alzheimer's dementia person into a memory care wing is more difficult than an ILAO for sure right now. That makes sense. And so when we talked uh, before this all started, uh, we were also getting into some of the projects you've got in the works, uh, new communities, things Mm -hmm. like that. How is this affecting that side of the business? Well, you know, it's interesting. We're building, you know, we have two, two projects under construction in Los Angeles and, and, you know, California was one of the first states to lock down, but they excluded uh, construction, you know, for whatever reason they found it essential. And I, I get it. States economy and economies, you have to do certain things. So our projects are, are still moving forward there. So we're maintaining sort of business as usual. I've seen capital kind of kind of step back a little bit. Some, not so much. We just signed a, a purchase sale agreement on another site yesterday, and so so things are moving ahead, but they're moving ahead cautiously. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm curious. You know, when uh, I'm just reflecting on the fact that we talked maybe a week before the NIC conference, which obviously happened mm-hmm. in San Diego, uh-huh. the whole industry got together, and we weren't shaking hands and things like that. And there was a lot of chatter, I think, about what COVID nineteen mm-hmm. would mean. But I, I just yeah. to be honest, like from where I'm sitting, reporting on the industry and the news every day, it sort of caught me off guard how quickly this became just an all-consuming issue. And I think that that goes across the board for every part of you know society mm-hmm. in this yeah. country, around the world. Probably, I'm not unique in that, yeah. but um, yeah. I'm just curious about if was there like a moment when it really became real for you? Was it the Kirkland situation, mm-hmm. or can you sort of put your finger on when the tide turned for you? 
Yeah, you know, I think it was the Kirkland situation because what caught me off guard there was the rapid spread. Because we deal with norovirus and we deal with influenza and we've done it for years. And typically, if you have a flu breakout and you have a norovirus breakout, noro seems to affect more residents than the flu does. You typically can catch the flu after two or three residents and you can clean the community and you can isolate and stop it dead in its tracks. And we do it, we do it every season in lots of buildings. Noro seems to spread more contagiously to to the seniors, but only lasts a day. It's not that very, and so you have to you catch noro, but maybe you have, you know, you know, out of a hundred residents, maybe you have three that get the flu, and then with noro, maybe you have twelve residents that get noro, uh, and that's not really life threatening most of the time. Noro is not, but watching the life care center unfold, where you had employees and you had residents, and knowing it was an upper respiratory type of virus, where the lungs fill and give you pneumonia. You know, at the same time, I think I was trying to reconcile in my mind, and I think a lot of people were, is this, is this, is it really going to be as bad as some people, or is it just a lot of hype? Is, because, uh, you know, you can watch CNN and you can watch Fox News, and they got both, you know, two total ends of the spectrum on how this thing's going to roll out back at that time. And so, you know, I had to start looking at, the whole big picture and so in that life care center you know it just spread through everybody and a lot of people and it was a lot of death and it was was quite eye-opening and so at that time i sort of changed my tune and would tell you know and sort of hey we've got to be on top of this and we can't let the virus get in our building in that mantra and but i was still having friends and conversations where they were saying oh this is just like the flu it'll go away when it heats up and you know, all those things were going on at that time, and people weren't taking it as serious as it could be. And um, I think watching Life Care was the moment I said, holy cow, we're dealing with something here that we haven't seen before, and that this could get really, really bad. So that that kind of was my opening. And then I have to say yesterday, it really hit home when I found out one of our employees, a 40-year-old healthy female nursing student with a four-year-old child at home is fighting for her life on the ventil, you know, in the hospital in Kansas City on the ventilator. And the nurse in the ICU unit told our executive director this morning, they don't expect her to make it. You know, we haven't gotten that call, but they, but that, that's quite a shock, actually. So those are two events for sure that have had a big impact on my perspective of the whole coronavirus situation uh, you know obviously the, the situation's dark already um as that mm-hmm. situation makes clear but what looking to the future i guess what are you seeing as the upcoming challenges supply chain more infections all of these things i think are weighing on everyone's mm-hmm. minds yeah you know i think um, a few things i think our industry will be okay i think that we'll weather this storm you know of course it's the sooner the vaccine can come, the better. It's going to change the way that we move in people and our admissions process. It's going to change our margins for all of our investors. We're going to have more expenses now. We're going to have a little more labor. You're going to have more disinfecting, cleaning type uh, expenses. I think that coming out of this, when the peak has occurred and it it, it's come down, you know, you're going to have a longer move-in process with a lot of screening. 
if you have tests in place, that's really going to, like rapid tests, like I said, that's really going to help. I think you're going to see, I think that memory care will probably do the best, followed by assisted living and then independent living. If this drags out for, you know, several months, I think that, you know, the worse the economy gets overall, I think that's going to affect senior housing and, and especially, you know, the independent living section of it. You know, but I, I think that, you know, there's there's going to always be demand. I think there'll be pent up demand once the stay at home orders are released in all the states. And I think that we'll see an influx of of move-ins at that time. But, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. I, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball and knew it. It's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, we don't know how long this is going to last. You know, the stay-at-home orders and stuff is going to last. And, you know, I think as an industry, we've been through lots, and I think we'll get through this. But it's going to be some pain. Uh, it's going to be some pain for a little while, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess one other question I wanted to ask you was just on the staffing mm-hmm. side. Um we uh, have seen these huge unemployment numbers across the country, a lot of them hospitality workers, mm-hmm. and there's been talk about uh, how and uh, whether senior living can recruit some of these workers. Have you had any success in that, or are you thinking about ways to do that? Mm-hmm. You know, we have. Um, when it became apparent that, you know, we were going to be dealing with a huge event, we started... Um, recruiting, um, knowing that if we have an outbreak in the community, uh, we may get to where, you know, and this was before the, the government stimulus was passed and, and so forth, too. We didn't know what was going to happen with sick time, with family leave acts, and what benefits. W- were the benefits going to come out and entice workers not to go to work here at the the communities? Luckily, that's not happened because they've designated healthcare workers as essential workers, so they don't get some of the same benefits that other employees, maybe in hospitality or whatever, because they need, you know, healthcare workers are in big need right now. But we started a recruiting campaign, and we actually saw the most applications that we've ever gotten. We're getting more applications now than we've ever gotten through our recruiting campaign. So I, you know, that, I guess, you know, there, there's, there's no silver lining in all this, but that's, that's at least a benefit for us is that we're seeing, uh, we're seeing a lot of movement and, and job applications. All right. Well, maybe a slight up note to end on. This was uh, really helpful to get a window into your experience. Uh, mm-hmm. I think everyone will appreciate that. Anything else that we haven't talked about around this that uh, you want mm-hmm. to share? No, no, I appreciate the time. I appreciate always talking to you and senior housing news and just everybody stay safe. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hitting home. This is the real stuff and, uh, we'll make it, we'll all make it through it as the industry. But, uh, we gotta, we, you know, one of the good notes about all this is how, you know, we've operators have come together and we've shared resources and we've shared equipment and we've shared policy and procedure and we've all come together and and said hey we're going to make it through this we're going to fight this we're all going to help each other and to see that has been you know really really great i think that camaraderie that we're seeing now will help us excel once this kind of blows over and you're going to find a lot of really first class operators out there 
and that's a good thing for everybody. Great. Well, thanks again, Dan, and best of luck. Thanks, Dan. All right. You take care. Stay safe. You too. That concludes this episode of Transform. I'd like to again remind our listeners that we've rescheduled our two annual events, Dished and Build. Dished will now take place on October 14th, and Build will be held on October 15th. More information can be found at seniorhousingnews.com forward slash events. I hope all our listeners stay safe and well, and thanks for listening.